you're a mixologist when you take, you understand your ingredients really well. Uh, in order to understand your ingredients really well and put them in harmony, you, you need to research them and understand actually what they are. Hello and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Hidden away in a bar close to the university, our guest today, Alex Chomartin, is busy deciding which cinnamon to use as an ingredient in his next cocktail. If you thought cinnamon was all the same, well, you would be wrong. Alex is living proof why today's mixologist should really have a degree in herbal medicine. Um, so basically, it was the need for some money in, in my first year of uh, university. So it, it just, just got into a bar, spent my money, and I decided to go back to a bar and kind of <laughs> get a job there. What were you studying? Um, my first university was about um, kind of a tourism, something like that. Uh, during that time in Romania, was, uh, army was compulsory. So for me, it was an escape route, you know, because I didn't want to go into army. So it was either army or hospitality? Army or university. Oh, army or university. So, uh, yeah, at that point, I was not much into studying something uh, but to go away from army. And two years later, army was not compulsory anymore, but uh, I got into hospitality. <laughs> And once you were behind a bar, did you think, this is for me? I think before that, looking all at these bartenders working and chatting and doing all this great stuff, I was like, oh my God. This was a new world for me because I was coming from a countryside, small town, and I didn't know anything about cocktails or this vibe and vibrant bars, and it was mind-blowing. I wanted to be part of that. And basically, um, the first few years was just kind of a back part and trying to learn. At that point, we didn't have internet because I started um, my first job 15 years ago. And no, no books, nothing to actually. So the idea was to kind of try to see what they are doing and try to draw a line, draw some pictures, draw some something, try to read the labels. So this is actually my first school, reading the labels of every brand and try to understand what they are. Were you in, you were in Bucharest, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was the drinking culture like then? It, it didn't have actually... Uh, it was just after, what... Five years, maybe more, like almost ten years after um, revolution was, was kind of a, I don't know, hanky-panky. It was 
was basically everything goes. It was everything. Not I, I, there were bars with 300 cocktails, menu. Uh, but nobody knew what they were doing. They were just kind of trying to attract people. Um, Before the revolution, what were the most common drinks? Um, right now I'm researching a, uh, a lot about that. So it was basically spritz, wine spritzer. Um, just like a lot of people wanted to have whiskey because it was kind of a Western thing. Um, but um, right now I'm doing research on that and I find out that so much more behind because you have a lot of fermented stuff, you have uh, even like classic cocktails, but that were for foreigners visiting the country. So every hotel will have a classic cocktail menu with Manhattans and old fashions and stuff like that, which is exciting to know that, you know, during the communist era, I could have an old fashion. You're like, damn, damn, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's another drink that um, I found it, and it's called Carcalete. It was a strange name, hard to pronounce, but uh, it's actually wine with syrup and soda. So if you look around it, it could be something, if you have a bitter syrup, it could be an American. It could, you know, it could be in that area. It could be a light spritzer. And I'm trying to revive that, that drink, trying to do herbal syrups and just mix it with wines and maybe some even bitter herbal syrups. So you balance the sweetness of that, as you will use, I don't know, Campari or something like that, you know, or something else, like a bitter aperitif. Um, and trying to, to research even more into what happened. But it's exciting, again, because you have Ottoman Empire, so you have sherbets and syrups and stuff going on, flavors from Asia coming into this country. Um, but right now, after revolution, everything was imported. It was kind of like, oh, let's see what the Coptic co culture was, I, was going on. I guess like everything that we missed during those times, yeah, we yeah, have to try yeah, all at once yeah. now. And it was exo exotic. It was, uh, it was something really interesting to look into. It. A lot of people used to drink cocktails just because they knew stuff. And yeah, um, I don't know. A little bit later, I don't know, I think in 2006, was a bartender that um, traveled to London and uh, he managed to, to do an internship to the best 10 bars at that point, which was like Milk and Honey, Lab, and a few more, um, one or two days in each as a bad rock. Came back to Romania opened a, and he opened a cocktail bar. And I was part of that. So it's my first actually real encounter with cocktail culture. Because we had cocktails in Romania in 2006. Actually, on the same level with London 2006, when, when the revolution kind of got into it. And it was really exciting. But the market was not really ready for that. And then that cocktail bar kind of being only one cocktail bar with that mentality, it's just too little for something to change. How long did it last? 
I think two years or something like that. But it's still a urban myth, that bar. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh my God, that bar. What was it called? It's em- Embryo. Uh-huh. It's kind of funny. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a club. It's, it's like um, music and DJs, but then really good cocktails. And, and do you feel that's where you got your training? Yeah, I think at that point I got to a different level because until then I was just trying to to learn about cocktails, but it was not actually going on mm-hmm. really well just because it was not a crazy market for that and the bartender doing cocktail was not that person that actually could, I don't know, read and research a lot for maybe one single drink, you know. But this bar kind of showed me a, a way of working and ethic and stuff like that. that and made me understand that it's a future in through bars and you could actually go a long way with that. Were you there for the whole two years? Uh, I was there for, from second year and then I left because this guy, which was also my mentor, um, left the bar as well. So I just tried to find my, my way around. Um, but then I got a lot of books. I started reading uh, copy books, like uh, old school stuff, like Jerry Thomas and stuff like that. And then uh, Jared Mixology from Gary Ergen and from Delta Grove. Craft of the cocktail, I just so I got really hooked, really hooked. And Your friends must have loved you. Yeah, you must maybe. have been trying <laughs> yeah, drinks yeah, on yeah, them yeah, at all yeah. times. Yeah, but actually, London made me made me actually find my my own language around cocktails. Because well, how did you get back? To, how did you get to London? Well, when did you, I guess when did you decide? that London was the place that you wanted to move? I knew already that London is its a big thing around cocktails and I was i was looking at London pretty much as I was looking to uh, New York. Um, but my girlfriend at that time wanted to, to go to study some fashion styling in England and I decided to go with her. So I tried to find an university for me that would fit and would fit my my development in the future. I found some food styling, something like food um, chemistry, whatever. But then I found herbal medicine. So Western herbal medicine. It's like, oh my God. It was really important for me to study this because I was into ingredients, I tried to understand my vermouths and liqueurs, I tried to understand, always try to understand why these people actually made vermouths as an aperitive, why is an aperitive, why, okay, you have simple things like, yeah, you have some bitter herbs that are aperitive, but then, right, what is the state of mind, how can I understand actually at the molecular level how these guys decided to use wine and herbs and stuff. Because if you understand that, you could create a new vermouth with a modern twist 
not just taking a recipe and changing a few flavors. You actually understand what's going on there. And this is with herbal liqueurs, like chartreuse, benedictine. This is going to repeat itself as a theory with gins, with I mean, a lot of things in the bar are herbal-based. And all the ingredients are agricultural and stuff like that. So, there's one thing that Gary Reagan said, if you want to be an... You're a mixologist when you take... You understand your ingredients really well, uh, and then you can actually put them in harmony. Uh, in order to understand your ingredients really well and put them in harmony, you, you need to research them and understand actually what they are. So I got to herbal medicine in London, which was tough because my English was not really good at that point. I was reading in English, but that was all. I mean. It was easy because like cookery books and like cocktail books, it's easy to read in English. And I was like, okay, if you don't understand that bit, you could go for a dictionary. But then in a few months I had to learn English. I had to do an exam. I took the exam second time and got to university where I had to learn a new language in a new language because <laughs> it was medicine. It was more medicine that herbal stuff it was like pathology I was oh my god what did I do <laughs> so I had to work part time um, which is a, was a really good thing I think at some point any bartender needs to actually go a little bit away from the bar and just go back to the bar because working part time and having this whole thing where I had to study a different thing and it's quite demanding just took me away out of the box and I think that created actually my personality around the bar maybe it's more theoretical yeah instead of practical yeah yeah so you can think of it yeah as a whole mm -hmm. and then bring that yeah. when you're next into the yeah. bar yeah into the kind of laboratory yeah yeah, I think it's it's quite important to have holidays if you want. I mean, that's really rare for bartenders, but I think it's important to have holidays or even a year where you do something else, but of course a little bit of bar or related with bars. So herbal medicine kind of showed me a lot, a lot about ingredients and stuff. I learned that condiments and like spices and herbs they're from different type of they are different qualities according to the market that's going to buy it so if you are a pharmaceutical grade a pharmaceutical grade will, will be easy to spot because they have I don't know technology to actually measure how much of an aromatic substance is there so you can't really say okay this is a fresh herb or whatever so if you have for example cinnamon that was um, it's coming from a certain area from this year and has this price, probably the best price would be paid by pharmaceutical and liquor companies and of perfumery where after everything else is rejected it's going further on the line to till is getting a powder 
and you don't know where it's coming from or how old it is. And this actually made me understand how to source my ingredients, how to look at the ingredients and you know there are a few things that you need to look for. And of course sometimes cinnamon is cinnamon but sometimes it's not, you know. <laughs> sometimes it's very important to have a cinnamon from a certain area uh, with a certain flavor profile. I mean, you know, it's something that has terroir, every ingredient has terroir, so it's really fresh to look at ingredients like that. It's not just, I don't know, cinnamon. If, if you have it from that area, it should maybe it's a little bit sweeter, maybe it has some other flavors like coffee, like cocoa beans, like everything else. It's interesting that terroir is, only f- if it's seen for wine only, right. but you could have terroir for gins, for moods for everything just you know mm-hmm. I like that a lot I think this this should be the the new wave into cocktails you know well even though you stepped away from your own bar were you going to all the bars in London that were around yeah and, right. and drinking yeah of course that was mm-hmm. that was kind of the fun part out of not being working in a bar going and drinking from the best bars in the world and going home and sleeping in your bed at 12 yeah, instead yeah. of 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was... And how long were you in London? Five years. Five mm. years. From Out of these five years, I think two years and a half, I worked in a gin bar. Uh, this gin bar was actually a bar underneath a restaurant that I used to work in. But... It was not a gin bar at the beginning, it was just a kind of an aperitivo bar. At some point the owner decided, all right, I'm going to do a premium product bar. And after two weeks he said, I'm going to bring more gins. And we started with like 10 gins and then 20 gins. And I said, I think I want to go into this bar from now on. They tried to convince me to work into, in that, into that cocktail bar and I prefer to stay in the restaurant, to learn the Italian wine, to see the food. To, you know, it was a different vibe and I liked it a lot. Um, that cocktail bar was, was not helping me in any way because it was just a cocktail bar basic with produce that was not sweet for the customer that was upstairs. Upstairs was a really small Italian restaurant with few pasta, one risotto, one fish, <laughs> one meal, you know, really good food, hand-filled tortelloni, tortellini, tasty things, and downstairs was, um, it was a menu that looked like a, I don't know, like a menu from Ibiza. <laughs> didn't make sense for me to actually work into that bar that you know. And when he decided to go into the gin bar stuff, I was like, oh my God. I will learn so much from this and I just clicked straight away and at some point we had, I don't know, 150 jeans on the menu. This. And I don't know, I think I learned into that gin bar what actually is a martini. Because having three jeans and one vermouth doesn't show you the complexity of this cocktail. And then so what would happen if someone came down and ordered, said, I want a martini, with 150 gins? What would you say? It, it will happen that 
you want to go into what type of martini you will want to and then trying to because we, we used to try different 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 recipes all the time and we started our job with uh, let's try this gin into a martini into a wet martini because it's so aromatic and stuff uh, it, it will happen that we will try to show him the complexity of the cocktail so we'll try to give him a try martini maybe with uh, some piney or some super I don't know aromatic even uh, aged gin and then you'll try to fit a certain vermouth there um, I discovered that I don't know with the aromatic gin even if you do a dry martini if you put a teaspoon of red vermouth which is a no-no for dry martini it's just really really good because that red vermouth has the same kind of maybe um, herbs and spices that you'll find in a quite aromatic gin so it will create a link maybe maybe it's just in my head but I love it with with a teaspoon of red vermouth if it's, it's in a dry side oh I want to try that yeah um, yeah but not yet I want to know why you came back to Bucharest um because I wanted to open my own bar at some point and it was either London or Bucharest so I came back here I talked with some friends and they said this is the perfect moment to open a cocktail bar in Bucharest because there are a lot of tourists coming in and the, it's a new generation that of entrepreneurs that they, they just hang out and they want to go cool places and I decided to come here because it was an interesting project to also research on the flavors that I grew up with. Because that's kind of, as I like to call them, nostalgia ingredients. If you look on the menu, Paul and Bellini, it's basically with B Poland that we have here since we were kids. We used to get pollen with a teaspoon every uh, winter just because our mothers thought that that will boost our immune system and making a pollen liqueur and mix it with some um, I don't know um, peach puree, white peach puree I discovered that even if you let it for I don't know, four months it doesn't get mold and okay you have a little bit of alcohol there but it's still like come on what's happening here it's that kind of thing that happens in, in front of you you forget I don't know a small bottle of of mix there in your fridge and you're like wow it's still not moldy and probably it has some properties there I'm not going to research there like a, <laughs> like a scientist cause, but the flavor is crazy. The flavor for me is crazy, and not only for me, probably for a lot of other people will be like, yeah, let's try that flavor. But for a lot of Romanians will be, oh my God, this is my childhood memory. And it's, it's important because you can't really buy that. Nostalgia, it's a very, it's an incredible and powerful flavor.
because you tap into something that absolutely so we are more into this this first year we opened this botanical bar just because I studied herbal medicine I decided to take seasonal thing and just research them in a way that okay I'm trying to do things like that things that are old, old school here and try to find a different approach to them let's see even that for example we have a fermented elderflower thing that everybody does every grandmother does this it's like a beer wine wonderful and I tried okay I tried to, to ferment it with different ferments like champagne like um, white wine like cider and right now I'm trying also with with um, sourdough starter try to flock to ferment that and try to go to add some other stuff into it and try to do it in a way that it was not done before just to see if I can get anything else out of it um, my first attempt were a failure with this one for example but with other things we just discover so many new ingredients and it's so refreshing that you still have that thing and then um, I don't know there's so many layers of this bar because well, you, you're only open for seven months right? yeah, yeah. How, how are you finding your patrons? Um, are they really receptive to all of this? yeah uh, and were they right away from the beginning? They knew you were coming back? That's it? Um, no, I'm not such a big star in Romania. I don't, I don't like to... I, you know, I'm more on an underground, maybe, bartender. Um, the thing is, we use Instagram to actually promote ourselves. And we got... We have these cocktails, but we decided to create a thing and not... We don't want to educate people here about cocktails. So we treat them like they know what we're talking about. Although, some the language of the menu and the fact that it's so short and the drinks are changing all the time and it's it's... A typical for Romanian menus, you'll have a lot of stuff going on on the Romanian menu. Um, you'll see bars that will, will sell coffee and water and pizza and, I don't know, steaks and cocktails and wine and whatever. So just keep it really short and simple, one few wines uh, and the cocktails. And then we actually brew our own sodas as well, so we don't throw away bottles for you so long and uh, yes they, they were really receptive because people are traveling right now and beside that they are connected with the Instagram to probably every corner of the world so when you find that in your hometown or where you live it's nice to have it you know you want to go there uh, because we didn't really want to make it for Romanian market. We wanted to have, to actually make a bar that we would love to go into it. And we got a crowd around us, uh, mostly 
young people, entrepreneurs, um, people don't want to have a lifestyle that they probably they used to have in Berlin or in London. They move in many again and they love it. They love the simplicity of things because we just have simple glassware, not very much garnish. The garnish it's all about the ingredients. Like you're yeah, it's about the ingredients and the flavors. It's like your teachings. Yeah. In it's the best way to educate somebody with drinks and food is to give them a really good drink and a really good food. And then if you have a really good coffee, you can you don't go back to like cheap I don't know, airport stuff. Never. That pollen sounds amazing. Yeah, so good. I need to try one yeah. right now. Okay. Alright, we yeah, make one yeah, for yeah, me? Yeah. 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 Thanks so much to Alex for joining us today. As our cocktail of the week, this one is Alex's take on the Ricky, which he calls his Ricky Rich. Add ice to a glass and then the following. 30 ml of London Dry Gin, 15 ml of Fino Sherry, 20 ml of Falernum, which is a sweet syrup you can find online or make your own, 20 ml of citrus juice, both lemon and lime, and then top it all up with soda. Stir it and then garnish with rosemary. For anything else of Alex's, you'll have to head to Bucharest. And you can check out my best bits of Bucharest on my blog, bestbitsworldwide.com. Back to Belgium we go to meet Anna de Splenter in Ghent for the next episode of Best Sips. Her crazy idea to make beer without hops had even her professors scratching their heads in wonder. Not only has it worked, but Anique is laughing all the way to the brewery. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar 